All right, good morning and welcome to Emmanuel this morning and to our time of worship. It's, um, it's good to be gathered in this place, to be here as God's people, to have the opportunity to worship, and we trust that God will guide us and bless us in this day. I'm sure you're going to notice a sticker on my hand. One of our younger members gave that to me, and I thought it would be very inappropriate to pull it right back off again. So if you don't like it, that is your problem. She thought it looked great on me. <laughs> Uh, we are continuing our relationship series today, and our, our topic for today will be uh, mental illness. And so we will uh, reflect on that, particularly in the uh, message, of course. And as we begin our worship, let's go to God in prayer and seek His presence. Lord God, we thank You that You call us into this place at this time. And however it is that we came to be here, whether out of interest or apathy or encouragement or prompting. We pray that this would be a time when you speak to us. We pray that through our musicians, through our songs, through our prayers, through the message, through your word, you would speak and meet us here and speak into our lives and our hearts and that you will shape us to be people who are building your kingdom in this world. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, guide us and shape us, prepare us and use us. We offer ourselves and this time to you. In your name we pray. Amen. As the gathered people of God, we receive his word of greeting, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells among us. Amen. Our scripture reading, as it says on the screen, is 1 Corinthians 13. If you, uh, I don't know if I ever published an earlier version of the series of sermons that I was going to do, but I was going to have one on marriage. But since I needed 1 Corinthians 13 for mental illness, I can't do one on marriage. And no, I'm not connecting mental illness and marriage, in case that was where you were going with that. <laughs> Hear the word of God. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. 
So in this relationship series, we started a few weeks ago with connecting with God, and then uh, two weeks ago before Thanksgiving, we did knowing ourselves, and this week we are talking about mental health. The only thing that makes this an easy message to present is what I got to do in the next three weeks as we do the rest of this series. Um, This is a tough topic for us. Um, So I want to start by coming to terms, and by that I mean I want to give you some terms and sort of make some distinctions. Um, What makes this a little bit difficult for me is that I'm well aware that I'm not a mental health professional, but my daughter Charlotte's here and she is, so all of your concerns about the things that I've said inaccurately, filter them through her and she will tell me. That's her gift, she knows how to do that, okay? You're welcome. (laughs) So mental health is something all of us have to deal with, because all of us have a healthy level um, of, of our mental state. So, for example, after a week like this, I need to be aware that I am dealing with stress, because I spoke at the funeral on Friday, I taught yesterday morning, I did a, funeral, a wedding yesterday afternoon, right, and I'm here today. So each one of those things I do regularly and can handle, all four of them in a row. I'd like to tell you that it doesn't bother me in the least and I don't feel the effects of it, but I do. Right? And if I'm not aware of my mental state, I've learned it actually comes out in my body. So, so far, so good with you folks. But October is a terrifying month for me because twice while I was in Waterdown, I believe because of the stress of work, I ended up in the hospital with uh, viral meningitis. And if you know anything about the medical part of that, you're not really supposed to be able to get viral meningitis twice. And so they put some funny medical term in front of it the second time to explain why I had it, which was, I don't know, right? My best read of that is I was not paying attention to the stress in my life and it was showing up in my mental health and also in my physical health, right? So all of us have a mental health issue and in our culture, stress is probably the best description of it that many of us deal with, okay? Mental illness is when people have a diagnosis, bipolar, depression, anxiety, all those kinds of things our mental illnesses, right? That's a whole different kind of a thing. When you have a mental illness that changes, right, a whole lot of stuff in your life that dealing with your own mental health along the way may or may not um, have the same effect. They're connected, but there is that difference. Mental disability, I don't know if this is technically true, but we tend to use that term for folks who are born with some sort of mental limitation. Right? And so people with mental disabilities are part of our community, and we kind of deal with that in a little different way than we do with mental health and mental illness. And the final term is demonic activity. None of those above are demonic activity. That's the main reason I put that term up there. There are communities within the Christian world who basically, when they look at mental illness, see demonic activity, and they think that by praying against it, it will go away. I do believe in healing prayer, Right? But like with physical illness, right, God sometimes heals and sometimes doesn't. Wish I could explain that to you. Likewise with mental illness. Right? It is something that needs to be dealt with in a medical fashion. It's not to be presumed that there is some sort of demonic or evil or fault thing that's involved um, when somebody's dealing with mental illness. Okay? Hope that's clear. Again, if you need any more clarity, ask Charlotte. Coming to terms with mental illness. We seem to have undue shame about mental illness. We don't like anybody to know, right? So when my shoulder was hurt, that's a physical illness, right? I had no problem being up here in a sling because, you know, it's a hockey injury, so 
it's almost that's even cool, right? Wow, he played hockey hard enough to fall down <laughs> or something like that. But when it comes to the stuff of the mind, right, it terrifies us. There are lots of folks who are dealing particularly with things like depression and anxiety who the last thing they want anybody to know is that they're dealing with that, right? And I'm not sure exactly I can explain why that is true, right? I've been thinking about it this way, so I am gladly tell you that I have high blood pressure, and that probably has to do with lifestyle more than anything else, and I take medication for that, and I have no problem taking my medication for that every day because I want my blood pressure to be healthy. If you're dealing with depression, it is different, but there, most people dealing with depression, right, don't want to be on that medication, and so they, they fight that in a way that it doesn't even occur to me to fight about my blood pressure medication, right? And that has to do with somehow, as a community, we've made mental illness a shame thing. The irony to me is I am probably at least somewhat guilty about my high blood pressure. I don't know anybody who's actually guilty for their depression, Right? And yet, one of them carries kind of that burden of shame. My, uh, my father-in-law, my father-in-law died of cancer a number of years ago, but many years before that, he suffered from a pretty severe depression. And he said, He said, cancer was way easier. He said, cancer was way easier. His community didn't know what to do with him and his depression. And so it, like, it multiplied the pain. It was bad enough to be depressed, obviously, right? But then to have whatever all stuff went on around that. Cancer we somehow knew how to handle. Cancer we could walk with him, right? So, again, I'm not standing here as an expert, so I certainly can't say here's the three easy steps to get rid of this. But I'm pretty sure that this entire series, this week and the next three, is really all about putting on the table for everyone, this stuff is going on among us, right? Be aware, be careful, and yet be lovingly bold at the same time, because that's simply what we need to do as a church. So I'm going to use some well-known words reapplied, which means I've picked 1 Corinthians 13, which is one of the better-known passages in the Bible for, for everybody. Um, and it's sort of like saying this, everything we need to know about mental health and mental illness, we learned in kindergarten. Remember that? Everything I really need to know I learned in kindergarten, that email went out back when people were sending out mass emails, right? It's also true about this. There's a whole lot, I think, that by just looking at what does it really mean to love somebody that will help us walk with somebody also dealing with some form of mental illness. Starting with human doings. I, for one, am a human doing. Right? A human being is a person who exists. Human doing is somebody who thinks that unless they're doing something, they don't actually exist. Right? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, that is, if I have great gifts and I use them, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge... And if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Sort of my way of saying, dealing with this at the first, the first step 
is understanding this isn't about us all becoming experts on mental illness. It's good that we have experts. It's good that we know something, particularly that which affects us, right? But really, the bottom line isn't what we are going to do about this. It's really how are we going to be with these people and how are we going to express love? Applying love both to self and to others. And by this I mean, because there's a shame factor around mental illness, people dealing with things like depression and anxiety tend to be hard on themselves. They tend to take on the shame. Now, how exactly all that works, again, I'm not really sure. But I think we need to encourage each other to be okay with the fact that we're dealing with mental illness. Right? We need to allow each other to say, that's, Eric has high blood pressure, I have depression, you have this, I have that. That's just part of who we are. Right? And that is, again, that's the message of these next four sermons is whatever it is that we're dealing with, we're part of this community. Right? And I always work with this assumption. I think you know this. I assume that every one of you is dealing with something in your life. Right? We live in a world that is imperfect, and therefore we are living imperfect lives. Right? And the sooner we can become a community that's actually known as people who are totally aware of the fact that they have brokenness in their lives, including mental illness, right? the sooner we will be a community where people go, hey, they're for real. They've got something there because they're honest about what's going on in their lives. So love is patient and love is kind. So before I did this message, I did talk with Charlotte and asked her a few questions about what she does in her work and so on. Right? And as she was saying some things, I'm going, that's starting to sound like 1 Corinthians 13. That's why I picked the passage. Love is patient. If you're dealing with mental illness in yourself, you need to be patient. Because right? it's complex, it's difficult, it goes all over the place. Right? If you're dealing with somebody else with mental illness, you need to be patient. Right? Because it's a tough journey and it can be a long journey. Right? Love is kind. Love is kind. Love wants to pay attention to what does this person need? That's what kindness is. How do I best help this person? A little more of that in a little while. Labels and comparisons, here we're back in kindergarten, right, are not helpful. Our identity is a gift from Christ. Right? So Charlotte does this one to me all the time, so I'll confess it. It is not the mentally ill person... It's a person who has mental illness. See the difference there? You are not defined by your mental illness. You don't call me the pastor with high blood pressure. At least I hope you don't call me the pastor with high blood pressure. Right? Just fine, call me Pastor Eric. He happens to have high blood pressure. Right? His leg hurts too now if you want to pray about that. Right? Whatever. Those, those are parts of who we are. They are not our identity. Right? And so it's hard in our world to identify anyone. So Beth thought someone else was going to come up and do announcements today, and she didn't know that person by name, and so how do I describe them? I said, there's a man who's going to come up before you. That's all you get. So do I describe their physical features, right? At what point are you labeling them? Because the very first thing that I say to describe you tells you, right, how we've labeled you. So let's call people people and by name and recognize that I, I can tell you that I'm a pastor with high blood pressure, but that's my business to tell you. 
right? I will identify myself that way. When you see me, just feel free to call me Pastor Eric and refer to me to other people as Pastor Eric or Great Pastor Eric. I'm okay with that one too if you want, but all those other words, you can kind of leave them out of the way. And again, on this whole project of relationships, the bottom line is our identity comes from Christ. So if you do want to put some adjectives in front of anybody, it's my brother and sister in Christ, so-and-so, and this is stuff I want to pray about because this is the stuff that I'm dealing with, okay? Love does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Really, that's what labels are all about, right? Is, well, that's the person with that, and I'm not like that, right? Every one of us, as soon as you see somebody, you will make judgments. You can't help that if you're human, right? The filter you need to work on is, wow, I made that judgment. Why did I make that judgment? Why is that what I, how I want to label that person? What's going on inside of me that I need to say or compare or label or make those differences? Okay. And then helping and healing is not in our hands. All right. And this is the part where if someone dealing with depression we don't like that and we're not supposed to like that and not liking it makes us uncomfortable and we probably think the best way for us to be more comfortable with their depression is for them to not be depressed anymore and so to help them we want to tell them all the good things that are going on in their life that means they shouldn't have to be depressed right and I'm saying this directly from too many stories that I've heard I'm going to say something offensive in a couple seconds, so if you don't want to hear it, plug your ears, right? If, on behalf, sorry, on behalf of all the people dealing with depression or anxiety that you're trying to cheer up by pointing out really good things in their life, shut up, please. That's what they want to say to you, right? And I say it that way because that's what they're feeling. They will suck it all in and they'll try and agree with you and then I will get to talk with them and they'll be going, you know, people say I shouldn't be feeling this because all these good things are going on in my life. Yes, but you are. But you are. Right? Love does not dishonor others. And in a positive sense, love honors others. So what you need to do with every single person, again, we learned this in kindergarten, is you honor them for who they are. So if they are expressing to you their anxiety, their depression, their struggles, their confusion, whatever they're dealing with, that's who they are. And that's all you need to know. And that's the person you need to love. It's not your job to heal them. Right? It's not your job to fix them. It's not your job to tell them something else they need to be thinking about. Just allow them to be where they are. Right? And let's admit together, that's really hard for us. Right? We're doers. We're fixers. We're very kind people who want other people to be happy with us, right? That's probably what makes this so flippin' annoying that people have mental illness is because it's hard for them and it's hard for us. And for the most part, we don't really know what to do. So start there, right? That's become my favorite answer over the years for a lot of good questions. I don't know, but I'm going to be here with you. It's not self-seeking because, again, right, why do we want them to get better? A lot of times, if we're honest, because I'm uncomfortable and I don't like being uncomfortable, right? Even when we're dealing with grief, right? People have told me that sometimes when they're dealing with grief, it sort of feels like people are walking across the road on the other side because if I go and talk with you, I certainly can't pretend you're not grieving, so I'm going to have to actually enter into that with you and that makes me uncomfortable, right? 
what I'm kind of telling you is the Christian life is really uncomfortable. Please enter into the discomfort of other people. Right? It's the most amazing blessing you can give them, and ironically, in the end, yourself. Right? Because once you're allowed to enter into a Christ-like way, somebody else's tough journey, you also get to experience the resurrection joy along the way. Forgiveness and forgetfulness. Love is not easily angered and it keeps no records of wrongs. I think it takes some patience to deal with mental illness. Right? We already said that. And one illustration that has really stuck with me is, is folks dealing with Alzheimer's. I think, again, because of the shame around mental illness in our community, right? someone actually just recently told me that their parent is dealing with mental illness in their old age, likely Alzheimer's, and as they're dealing with this, they hear lots of other people saying, you know, my, my parents have this and this disease, but at least their mind is okay. Because, of course, if their mind wasn't okay, that'd be shameful. Right? You see that dynamic? Right? There's so much to be sensitive to here. And so this passage is really for those of us who are walking alongside of people and are really frustrated with the fact that people are always saying things wrong. So this is for me with respect to Charlotte, so she doesn't have to get mad at me all the time. We're not always easily angered, Charlotte. See, there you go. Freebie just for you. She's never coming back, by the way. <laughs> right? Not easily angered means... If I know something about mental illness and what would be the most helpful and all that kind of stuff and I'm doing that and then somebody else does something offensive, I have to understand that we are going to constantly offend each other along the way on difficult areas of life, right? So don't be easily angered on that side, right? And of course, if you're dealing with somebody who's struggling with some really messy stuff, right? There's some pretty messy stuff in mental illness to be patient, to be careful, Right? To walk along that journey, to try and be understanding. And it keeps no records of wrongs. Right? Don't hold on to these things on and on and on. Forgiveness and forgetfulness. Right? We need to recognize that in this difficult journey, forgiveness is probably going to need to take place on one side or the other. And here's the good news. That's our stock and trade as the church. We're the forgiveness people. That's the thing we do. Right? So when things get messy, we try and do it the right way. And then when we don't, we say, I did it, I'm sorry. Remember that sermon, right? I did it, I'm sorry. You confess and you get forgiven. And then the double ditch, saying the wrong thing or saying nothing. Tim Keller says the double ditch of the church is trying to stay in the middle between legalism and liberalism. That's a whole different sermon. That's just where I got the word from. Here, in terms of mental health, the double ditch is saying the wrong thing versus saying nothing. All right, so again, I sort of said this earlier. Saying the wrong thing, right, is telling a depressed person to buck up and get over it, right? Saying nothing is telling the person, I don't value you, I don't want to have anything to do with you because you're ill and you need to be shamed away from me. That's really the message they're getting. Somehow we've got to be in the middle of that road, right? Don't drive in the ditch. We know that when we're on the road with our cars or our bikes, right? Don't drive in the road, don't drive in the ditch. And this one is make sure you do say something, acknowledge the person, right? But make sure it's something that is honoring of the person, right? So here's the best way to always start. What would be the best thing for us to talk about today, right? 
let them take the lead. Right? And I've done this wrong lots of times. That's how I know that's the best thing to say. Right? When you walk in, you think, if I just say this, then we'll kind of get off on the right track. If in doubt, ask a question and let the other person lead. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not want to be in the ditch. Love wants to be on the center of the road in a healthy place that's actually helping the person. Right? And by the way, in no way do I want to make you paranoid, of course, about talking with anybody who's struggling with anything. Right? So recognize this. This is this, the other thing I've learned by putting my foot in my mouth over the course of my life. If you've actually come in love and the person knows that you love them, the stupid things you say are a lot less painful. All right? Because, you know, I happen to think I'm reasonably articulate and I've said a whole lot of bad things. So you're thinking, well, if he's doing that, right, and I may not be as articulate as him, you probably are, but don't worry about it, right? Then how am I ever going to know what to say so I'm never going in? That's not the message. The message is love. Right? I've walked in with people and said, I don't, I don't know, but I want to ask this question. I want to go over here. And they said, no, that's not at all helpful. Okay, then we're not going to go over there. We're going to go over here, right? But it's a matter of saying, I want to help you. I want to be with you. I want to support you. And I love you. How's that coming across? And how's this helping? And then, in for the long haul, no matter what. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In some circumstances, right, this can be a long journey. Right? And when we say this, I also don't want this to be laid on a heavy, especially for a primary caregiver. Right? Always loving and always preserving and always protecting and always hoping is not always being on duty. We have a community here. And we've shown you in the last few weeks that when stuff goes on, we're willing to help out, right? And so if you're willing to say, I'm exhausted. I want this, of course, to keep going. I need to continue to walk with this person, but I can't be there right now, right? There's others who can walk that journey. So love is a group activity. We don't lay this on the primary caregiver and say, what's the matter with you that you're getting tired? Of course you're going to get tired on these journeys, right? Let's as a community walk on that one together. And holding on to hope and healing, we are always a people of hope. For now, we only see we see only a reflection as in a mirror. And back then, by the way, the mirrors weren't like they are now. Because now you say, well, when I see the mirror, I see exactly myself. He's talking basically about a piece of silver polish so you could sort of see who you are. Right? That's the image. For now, we see only through a piece of sil- sil- silver dimly. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know, shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We hope, we pray, we use medical support, we use prayer. We do whatever we can to bring somebody back into the healthiest place they can possibly be by all the powers available to us as followers of Jesus Christ. But we also know that death is still a part of the journey in this world. And sometimes some of these journeys go all the way to death. And we're going to live in that balance all along. Where we're hoping and praying and doing all that we've got. We're not giving up. But we're also accepting that 
right now anyways, this is my journey, right? I love it when people come to me and they're battling something like depression and anxiety and they're like, why? Why do I have to go through this? Why can't I be past this? And of course, I start with my standard answer, I don't know. But what I love in them is their faith and their hope. And they're begging of God, saying, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I will not just relinquish to the fact that this is going on in my life and say, that's all there is. I hope, I pray, I do what I can to move forward. And as a community of hope, we continue to carry that crazy balance where we expect that healing can take place. We pray that healing will take place. We send people through all the medical opportunities they can have so that healing can take place. But we also realize that sometime in this journey, we don't get that answer in our time. And so we go on in faith. This conversation, of course, is a personal one for me and for many, if not all, of you. But it's also a communal one. So let's continue to grow as a community in our ability just to be honest about what we know, what frustrates us, what we've experienced, and where our hope lies. And let's continue to hold each other up. And again, so many of you in so many ways have done this so wonderfully. Keep on that journey with each other and keep growing. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, we... We are frustrated that there is things like mental illness in our world. And we pray for your healing touch in our collective lives that we may just simply be a more aware and sensitive and functional community that way. We also pray for your healing touch in whatever means you want to use to restore and, and alter and to rechange lives. Lord, we just pray for patience on that journey. We pray for hope. And we pray most of all that we may be an open and honest community that when we're on a tough road together, we can hold each other up. We can love each other as you first loved us. And that's our simple prayer. May we be your people of love. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's go with God's word of blessing upon us. The Lord blesses you. And he keeps you. He makes his face shine upon you. And he's gracious to you. The Lord our God turns his face towards you, his children, and gives you his peace now and always. Amen.